shoot, missed all the latest Midas Touch updates, which I just played. Now we're going to listen to Forbidden Knowledge and Game to Disclosure. Oh. UFO Endgame. Endgame, the documentary that has made number one on iTunes and number two on Amazon Prime, our documentary in regards to disclosure, is a making wave across all streaming platforms. Hey, Billy, uh, you know, it's crazy. We just released this documentary, UFO Endgame, on all streaming services. It's just surged to number one and two on Amazon and iTunes. Uh, congratulations, and we're all part of it. This is what the world needs. I appreciate you joining us. And, you know, what, what do you think? is the end game to disclosure. Well, the end game to disclosure is exactly what you and I are both doing, trying to bring the disclosure to the world ourselves, opening up enough eyes and hearts to where it gets to the point where people in positions of power will begin to realize, like, hey, we need to truthfully release this information. It's kind of infiltrating the system from the inside out. Eventually, more and more conscious people, people that are interested in the truth, people are interested in this dispensing the truth to the world will eventually gain those specific positions of power where they can press a button and give <coughs> information to the world. So we're looking at a, a situation where we're softening up the blow and eventually I really truthfully do believe that there will be people uh, that infiltrate from the inside out that will you know be uh, really on our side and then will help us you know get the truth disclosure to the world where it's on the quote unquote mainstream will say yes these are real. This is happening. It's been happening for a very long time. We have been trying to cover it up, but no more. We're moving forward. And I do believe that I'll be alive when that day happens. Absolutely. I think it's right around the corner. Uh, something's about to happen. we got congressmen speaking about it. Tim Burchett just hinted that there's going to be some more uh, Congress hearings in regards to the phenomenon. So this is kind of good news. People are waking up. And some of the information is so sensitive, it's hard to get it out on these platforms. But right now, Amazon and iTunes seem to put it on the front line. So this is good news for disclosure and for people that are trying to find out uh, the truth. Now, you know, what's, what's amazing as well is there's been so much talk about these UFOs getting shot out of the, out of the sky, the, the balloon debacle. What do you make of this? Is this some kind of preparation for engagement with the unknown? You know, I think it's a preparation for engagement, also a test of different types of technologies. There must have been some type of strange anomaly that happened over the northern Sioux border, or maybe over the, the borderline between uh, Alaska and the United States and Canada at some point, because all of a sudden you've got the interest from China, from Russia, and of course from ourselves uh, sending these balloons over, these super massive mega balloons. But also then you have these other objects that show up later that get shot down that was not balloons, that were objects that didn't have a, a tail, didn't have wings, didn't have a cockpit or a fuselage, and didn't even have pilots. So could those be possibly things that we are testing out different types of technologies and then we blow them up in the sky as well? It could be the beginnings of the whole process of you know kind of really creating this space false flag 
where these things could potentially be a threat to our national security. And when we when we see these threats, we're going to take care of them almost as if we really have the capability of shooting these things out of the sky. They come on, they come out of the universe whenever they want, they will want. Uh, and so for us to be able to show the public that, oh, we can just take one out with an F-22, I seriously doubt it. But I think they're prepping the consciousness of the people so they can continue to move money into the Space Force because there's no more wars to fight here on this planet. We fought all the wars. We brought democracy to all the countries and stole all their resources and put the public dictators in. The next big move is space. And so we'll see that there'll be a lot of agitation and threat coming from space so that the people will be in full collusion with them, transferring trillions of dollars into that industry, which is where they make a lot of money. Absolutely. It's all about the money. Follow the money in regards to the government and the technology being suppressed. Let's take a quick look. Uh, we've got Dr. Stephen Greer. We've got Michael Tratt, Dan C. Goodall, and John D'Souza, including yourself, and UFO Endgame for Disclosure, available worldwide. Let's uh, take a close look at this exclusive uh, clip from UFO Endgame. Check it out. Recently, the commander of NORAD actually stated that they have no evidence of UFOs or aliens. And he was kind of really being sarcastic. They have a lot of evidence of UFOs and aliens because information has been being released and declassified for decades, including the new ATIC documents. What he really was saying is, we have information about UAPs and UFOs, but we don't want to share it with you, and we're not going to actually openly claim that these are actual alien craft or spacecraft that are not created by us, because if we do that, and we're the ones in control of protecting airspace over the world, then we look like we're not because we can't do our job. So that's why they do this. They do this to keep, to give the citizens of the world a false sense of protection or security that they do have control and they can protect us. In actuality, they cannot control these beings whatsoever. Would you like to build generational wealth by becoming your own bank? Sleep Solutions has been around for over 100 years, and it's a solution that the likes of the Rockefellers, Bill Gates, Jeff Bezos, and many of the wealthiest people in America today are using. In fact, according to the Wall Street Journal, 55% of the top 10% wealthiest people in America today are using this solution or a variation of this solution to not only build generational wealth, but to transfer wealth tax-free. Before I go into the program and how this works exactly, why would you want to become your own bank? The first thing is that you are able to generate tax-free income. You're effectively turning every dollar that you earn into two. When you borrow against your own bank, you don't have to pay back that money. So the cash that's in the solution continues to earn interest over a period of time. And I'm going to explain in a bit more detail shortly how that money is free money. You only pay anything you owe to your bank when you die, as a death benefit. So if there's money left over, the remainder then goes to your family. There's also no credit check. It's 100% liquid. So all the money that you put in, you can take out as well. And no one asks you what you're going to spend your money on. So if you go to a regular bank and you take out a loan, they would expect you to pay that money back. But if you take out a loan against your own bank, no one expects you to pay it back. I would implore you, if you want to learn more, click on the link below and schedule a call with our team, and we'll go over this in a lot more detail. But before you do that, let me explain with a real-life example of how becoming a banker will make you richer, but also how you're able to transfer wealth through generations. What we're seeing right now is an example of the Foster household who are putting their mortgage payments into their own bank. Their mortgage payment is $1,500 a month. They're age 40 today, and they've got 15 years left on their mortgage to pay. So every year they're spending $18,000 on mortgage payments, and over the lifetime of the 15 years, they will be giving their bank $270,000. At the end of paying off their mortgage, they are age 55. 
jewelry on the house, which may have also grown in value by an extra 15 or 20 percent. So they have earned some money on the house, but it's all paper money, which they can't access until they sell the house or refinance. Which again puts them back into the cycle of getting another mortgage. So at the end of 15 years, they have nothing left apart from paper money. Now, if you were to be like one of the smart Americans that are utilizing this program, you would have put $270,000 into your own bank. This is the process. You put the mortgage payment into your bank first, then you borrow against yourself. Borrowing from your own bank is going to cost you 4%, but the returns that are generated in your own bank, on average over the last 10 years, is around 8%. So you're going to be earning 8% on $270,000, but it's costing you 4% to borrow that money against yourself. Which means you will be earning net 4% per annum on $270,000. Now there's 270 grand. You're still using the borrowed funds to pay off your mortgage, but your cash is still benefiting from the net 4% returns within your bank. You can see here in just five years you have almost $400,000 in cash in your own bank. And it's cost you $328,000. So overall net, you're $70,000 better off. At the age of 70, if you didn't touch anything, if you let things keep on compounding year after year after year, you have $370,000, which you can take out and do whatever you want with it. By the age of 80, if you are still alive, and I'm sure you will be, you'll have $1.1 million. And remember, we didn't put any additional money in after we paid off our mortgage at the age of 55. And so imagine if you kept on adding money into your own bank, that $1.1 million might be $3 million, or $1 million, or even $5 million. Remember, this is all free money. This is money that you've already earned and is tax-free, and you're earning tax-free interest on it. So what I've showed you here is a very light touch of how this actually works in practice. If this is interesting to you, to click on the link below so you can speak to our team who will show you this process in a lot more detail and run real-life numbers based on your current financial scenario. And I'm sure what you'll find out is that this solution, which the banks and the wealthiest people in the states don't want you to know about, can help you build generational wealth. It doesn't matter if you're starting with $1 in your bank or $100,000 in your bank. This solution is available to everyone. So click on the link below to get started. We are excited to speak to you, and we would love to show you how this can work for you. Speak soon. more discernible people are leaving their jobs or traditional nine to five hours and doing their own thing? No, it's definitely bigger than that. Big news. In this video, I'm going to show you how to start your own small company without having to move, quit your job, or pursue an advanced degree. My name is Jeff Lerner, and in this video, I'm going to show you how to start your own small business from anywhere in the world with just a laptop and an internet connection. You don't need any prior experience, and you can do it all while keeping your day job. Sounds too good to be true? Well, stick around, and I'll prove it to you. I've been in the online world since 2008, and I've generated over $50 million in personal income on the internet. Now, I didn't rent a Lamborghini for this video. I don't drive a Lamborghini. I have four kids. It would not be possible. But I have made this money, and you can look me up online. My name is Jeff Lerner. Just Google me. My story is verified all over the internet. Back in 2008, when I got started, I was a broke, out-of-work piano player because I'd actually hurt my hand. But even when I was a working piano player, I never even made more than $40,000 a year. It was a really hard job. Now, obviously, $50 million later, life is extremely different. So what did I do? 
answer all of your questions. And I'm going to reveal the exact method that I use and the average people are using to become millionaires. Now, despite all the hype, despite all the flashy videos you see on the internet, and all the people talking about the latest and greatest happening things, the truth is internet business really hasn't changed that much. And the things I was doing back in 2008 are still the same things that I do right now and that work today. You don't need some fancy new on-trend technique that's just going to fizzle out. You need these powerful, timeless techniques that can completely transform your life 10 years ago, now, and 10 years from now. And for the first time ever, I'm sharing the secret to my success with everyone for free in a brand new book called The Millionaire Shortcut. Now, I'm not going to do this forever, but for right now, it is 100% free, no credit card required, no strings attached. And I'll send it right to your email so you can download it instantly. This book is less than 20 pages long. It's a super quick read, and I promise it's going to be the most powerful book that you've ever read on the subject of how ordinary people are becoming millionaires in the new economy. So that said, click the link that's somewhere around this video, submit your information, and I'll send you an email right away with your free copy of The Millionaire Shortcut. It's a great life, and I can't wait to see you there. You know, it is something that we need to get to the bottom of. And are we going to get the answers? You were saying this earlier that you think it's going to happen within our lifetime. What's interesting to me is what's going on right now in the major news. Just uh, just earlier this week, Lester Holt from NBC News, he's talking to Bobby Loeb, and now he's part of the Pentagon, and they're insinuating that there's a mothership in our solar system heading this way. What kind of uh, propaganda is this? That's interesting. The fact that they would come out and put that out and release it on mainstream news is kind of shocking because I accidentally scrolled across it on my feed uh, on, on Twitter. And that's that Fox News and Pentagon mothership, you know, left leaving and sending out drones or something. I'm like, what in the world? So, again, could it be that there is one? I believe there are giant motherships out there. The fact that they would begin to release it through the mainstream makes me also want to question. Is it truthfully one, or is this um, going to be labeled as a threat? If they go with the threat angle, then I tend to believe that it's actually not real. If they go with the non-threat angle, then I tend to believe it's real. Do you think it's possible that the major media and the Pentagon are going to come forth with evidence saying these, uh, these beings from another solar system are visiting us and there's no threat based whatsoever? you think that day will ever come? That day will come when we get the real truth of disclosure. That we, I, I don't think it's going to happen tomorrow. But like I said, more and more people are coming to our side. Like, for example, the executives at, at uh, Netflix and Amazon, they're putting the, this documentary that we made up front. Like, it's, hey, guys, you need to watch this. And it became number one. And so, again, that's, a, that's, a, that's an example of us being able to infiltrate mainstream from the inside out. That's also going to eventually happen in government. It's going to happen in military. It's going to happen in all uh, all industries, in private space. And eventually we'll get to a point where there's enough people on our side that the information will be openly and freely released. Absolutely. They need to release this. And, you know, there's these documents that have uh, yet to be put forth to the public. But there are some things coming up in the future that seems that there's going to be a light put on this whole aspect of this cover-up. Because... Right now, they only want to deal with what happened with an image, anything after 2000, I think, 7, or anything beyond that. They don't want to go deep, deep back into the history of 
the cover-up or some of these encounters with military and uh, crash retrievals and reverse engineering. Uh, what do you think? What do you think the reverse engineering at this point is, or as far as just technology in general? It's human pie, the species. How far advanced are we that they're kind of keeping secrets due to national security reasons, military strategy? Well, I really think that they're supremely ahead of us. You know, one of the things I own is a tech company called First Class Space, FCSA. It's a, it's a corporation in the state of Florida. It's a, a space agency, a registered space agency with NASA and the European Space Agency. And what we do is R&D, research and development. But through that, I've been able to get access to space symposiums and private meetings and meetings in private space, even with PS and top secret clearance to private space. And what you find in these meetings what I can tell you is this, they're about 300 years ahead of us right now technologically. And so pretty much whatever you can think of or dream up in your mind has already been accomplished or at least tested in an actual laboratory to some level of success. So they're far, far more advanced than we can even imagine. And a lot of these suppressed technologies are just sitting there on the shelf waiting to be utilized sometime in the future. Kind of similar to the SR-71 Blackbird, which was built in the 1960s, and uh, nobody really found out about it until like the 80s, you know, and they were like, what is this SR-71 Blackbird? This thing is amazing. You know, four times the speed of sound and all this kind of crazy stuff that was capable of doing, flying at the edge of space, but we had that in the 1960s, so just project your mind to the future now. A hundred years ago, we were in a horse buggy and carriage. A hundred years later, we're putting remote control cars on Mars, and we have probes that have left the Oort cloud and in intergalactic space. So we're really, really, really on the cutting edge. It's just that the main uh, society, you know, mainstream society and civilization, we just haven't been put aware of it. So we're thinking that you know, iPhones and, and smartphones and laptops are the highest level we have, and some and you know, some propelled chemical rocket fuel uh, rockets to go to, to the moon and, and into space to launch satellites. That's all we've got. But there's so much more. Yeah, it's it's pretty interesting due to the fact that AI is just among us right now, it's like it's exploding. Everybody's mm -hmm. talking about the AI and what's available to us right now and the no regulations behind it. Even Ben Rich from Lockheed Skunkworks told our friend James B. Goodall that, uh, Jim Goodall, that um, we have the ability to take ET home. So there's yeah. this technology that you, you can't prove it. You can't prove it physically. Here's, here's the machine, here's the device that gives us free energy. But I, for some reason, I just believe it. I think a lot of people out there believe it. A lot of whistleblowers believe it, and they're ready to come forward with this immunity that the CDC has uh, given, written into law. So we'll see how that uh, transpires. You know, let's just take another uh, look at UFO engine for disclosure. Take a look at this exclusive clip with Billy Horton from Forbidden Knowledge. Watch this. If the world was able to see exactly what was going on behind the veil with these black budget top secret projects, this secret space programs that do exist that are being run out of practice. You cannot defeat me. How do you plan to defeat the supernatural forces that breed and prey on mankind? Fight me! Speak of the devil.
corporations, they'd be blown away. First and foremost, the reason why they're using private corporations is because then they can avoid the Freedom of Information Act. Because with that FOIA, they can actually then release all the information to the public, even if it's redacted. But through private corporations, now they can hide everything. They can cover everything up. And what happens behind the scenes is advanced technology that's 300 years ahead of what the general population is at right now. So whatever you can think of has already happened. Whatever you could possibly even conceive already exists. That's how far advanced they are. But by keeping these things locked up in black budget programs and using them for top secret military projects, the general population is only going to get this information one flight trickle at a time. It's fun to collaborate with people that are in the field all in. And they've studied this for decades, pretty much their lifetime. And to have you part of this documentary, it's our pleasure to have you on there and I appreciate you uh, putting your time and effort into this subject matter. I know you've got some uh, important things coming up in the future. What is it? You have uh, Forbidden Conscious uh, Awards coming up yeah. in Miami. Go ahead. What's this all about? Yeah. You know, I decided that, you know, people like yourself and Stephen, Dr. Stephen Greer and many, many others who have been dedicating their life uh, and their, all their money, too, to help bring disclosure to the world, and not just in UFOs and, and aliens and, and aerospace, but also uh, in other areas like podcasting, radio hosts, um, you know, uh, directors, producers, entrepreneurs, health and wellness authors, space anomaly hunters. And so I decided to create a Forbidden Conscious Awards where it will be on the level of the Oscars, on the level of the Grammys or the Emmys. It's a black tie affair in Miami at the Adrian Hart Center, one of the most beautiful theaters in the world that rivals the Sydney Opera House. It's down in Miami. It's brand new. It's built right next to the Miami Heat Arena uh, down there on South Beach. Uh, an amazing venue that hosts thousands of people. And we're going to have people coming in from all over the world. And the most beautiful thing is the fans get to vote for the winners. People can vote right now by going to forbiddenknowledge.com. That's number four. They can pick multiple winners in multiple categories, multiple nominees, I should say, multiple categories. Once we count all the nominees up and we get the top three nominees in each of the 11 categories and the 12th category for a lifetime achievement award, we'll then have a second vote that goes in and people will get a chance to pick the winners out of those three categories. And we're going to fly everyone in first class, uh, you know, picked up in limos, you know, five-star hotel, all their meals will be covered and everything else. And we're going to have an amazing award show. And the trophies are mind-blowing. Ten-pound, ten-foot-tall, uh, ten-inch-tall. Ten um, <laughs> ten-foot would be big. Ten-pound, ten-inch-tall pyramids. Uh, clear quartz crystal pyramids. They're magnificent. Actually, the person who won his name and the title of what they won. Uh, it's going to be a magnificent night. Red carpet event. And uh, even the mainstream media will be there. And we're also giving away an Audi A4 for someone in the audience that night. Their ticket with their free entry will be a winner of an Audi A4. So it's going to be a great night. We're looking forward hey. to it. I'm going to set, some, set the stage for something new. Man, that, that sounds incredible. And, you know, not, nothing against Emmys and Academy, but it wouldn't take much to beat what's going on in that situation that's right now. <laughs> <laughs> wow, look at, this, look at this ballroom. I, I think we're looking at the footage. From uh, what you shared with us at this grand ballroom and what to expect at the event, this seems something that's kind of missing in this field because there's a lot of people that are working uh, behind the scenes, in front of the scenes, that really don't get uh, the recognition that, that they deserve. You know, 
whole conference of the subject matter, trying to get disclosure. People should be awarded and maybe have a celebration in regards to it. So this is, this is exciting stuff that's coming up. Wow. And, and, and you guys, Third Phase of Moon, has a lot of votes already. So continue to tell people to go to ForbiddenLaws.com and vote for you. Voting is free. It doesn't cost you any money. And, uh, and it looks like, you know, if we ended it today, you would be one of the nominees for sure, which is amazing. Wow. This is, that's exciting stuff. Guys, if you're watching, uh, you know, the link is below. Give them a, some third phase of moon sent you. This is, this is exciting stuff. We look forward to coming to that event. You know, we're running short. We got a lot of stuff on the table. Uh, the UFO games are blowing up uh, across all streaming platforms. Let's take a one quick look at UFO Endgame, the trailer, right now. One of the most popular mattress brands is available at the Revive Sleep Center inside Living Spaces, where you can find out what Purple is all about. Discover the just right comfort plus revolutionary grit technology that instantly adapts to your body. You'll love right. and dreamy flowy feel. Soft, stretchy sheets and supportive. It's a mind-blowing situation. For the public, it's like, oh, a conspiracy theory, it's entertaining. But if you're actually in a responsible position and you find out that there's a whole secret government uh. program that you don't know about, it's a shock. This report comes from a shadowy Pentagon department that was shut down in 2012. The disclosure movement has been hijacked by people parroting the narrative and the script being written by these black projects. I would say 90 plus percent of everything that's going to come out is false. The most widely seen UFO right now is not alien, it's actually ours. It's a great cover story for all kinds of criminal activity. Blame it on the aliens, right? If we are being visited by interdimensional beings, we should know about it. This has the big disadvantage of the truth being much more unbelievable than the fiction. It's the crash retrievals that are the Rosetta Stone for solving the UFO cover-up. Implications of this is the difference between extinction level civilizations versus one that's going to take off to the stars. So it's up to us, it's up to the people to get disclosure. And if we can get it, the world will change overnight. And that's what uh, we need. We need to get to the bottom of this. And this cosmic water gate has to be blown wide open. And I'm sure there's reasons for for keeping disclosure the way it is. What do you think the main reason they want to keep it suppressed from the public? Right now, there's a few reasons. Number one, if they keep it suppressed, they can control the technology. Control the technology means controlling the financial resources of an entire planet. Because when you take the technology and you record it, and you soon feed pieces of it to the people, right? like you release a little bit of fiber optics here, maybe you drop some microchips out here, little by little, you know, you allowing our civilization to advance at a very drip-drop pace, you can control the flow uh, of money and also the flow of jobs, uh, and, you know, you can control as well, which is huge, which means you have a complete lockdown on the whole planet, but once you free that up, it then opens everyone up to be able to access this information, access the technology, 
technologies that could potentially free up third world countries. Just people simple things like water and electricity, making them almost equals. And so they don't want that. As long as the majority of the planet is less than equal and fully suppressed, then uh, the people of the powers that be have supreme control and a boot on the neck of the planet as they dribble, grab little by little pieces of technologies out and allow us to advance at a much slower pace. So that eventually, you know, we have to realize that the people on this planet, there's 8 billion of us and we're being controlled by 100 families. At some point, we have to realize, forget the divide and conquer, forget our differences. We have to come together and unite. And together, we all need to stand up and do just one simple thing. Just stop participating in their game. And once we stop participating, game over. We've already proved it can happen through the whole situation that happened with the global sickness. The whole world shut down. And guess what? It reopened again and everything is still fine. You know? So we proved that at, if, if that was on the force. But imagine if we negotiated that ourselves and just shut down everything. And then we renegotiate the deal that we want as a people on this planet. Not just for one specific race or country or flag, but global change for the entire planet as a whole. Hey everybody, it's Billy Carson, also known as Forbidden Knowledge. I want to talk to you about a very special event coming up July 30th, 2023, the Forbidden Congress Awards, the first annual event of its type. We're going to honor people who have been contributing to the conscious community for decades. People that you know and love that have helped you get to higher levels of thought and consciousness and awareness. And guess what? It's time to give them their flowers while they're still alive. It's going to be a live in-person event, but seats are going to sell out very fast. We want to make sure you're there in person for this amazing level event. It's going to be above the Oscars, above the Grammys. And guess what? You can help vote for the winners. Voting is available on ForbiddenKnowledge.com. And the categories are going to be social media influencer, podcast slash radio host, TV host, actor, director, producer, entrepreneurs, health and wellness, philanthropists, authors, field researchers, archaeologists, space anomaly hunters, and of course, a lifetime achievement award. If you want to be there in person, because I'm going to be speaking. That's right. I'll be your keynote speaker that night at the Forbidden Conscious Awards. If you want to come to a mini conference, this is the place to be because I'm going to give you the knowledge that night, as well as performances. We have celebrity guests performing. We'll have a halftime show where we're actually going to perform music for you. And don't forget about the pre-event mixer where if you buy a box seat, you'll be in the VIP section and you also have private access to a VIP mixer with celebrity guests. Shake hands, break bread, network, and then walk the red carpet with us and take amazing photos. It's going to be a night to remember. You don't want to forget this. And you help vote by going to ForbiddenKnowledge.com. Go to the Conscious Awards link. You can text in a vote for who you want for any category, as well as if you're out of the country, you can use the webcam ballot to still vote for anyone you think is worthy of being honored that night. Make sure you hurry up and get your tickets because they're selling out very fast. I want to see you there. Forbidden Conscious Awards 2023. Would you believe that winning a simple five-minute trick, just once a day, can raise your credit scores into the 700s and even 800s range, no matter how low your scores might be now? It's true. And if you're one of the millions of Americans with a credit score lower than you deserve, or if you're thinking of someday owning that new car, new home, building a better financial future for your family, 
you truly want to see this. You know, I implemented three simple steps for just five minutes each day, and it really raised my credit scores up high. Number one, I started tracking my scores and reports with all three major credit bureaus. I had no idea how quickly my scores could change in a month or even a week. Number two, I made a decision to take matters in my own hands. That's not to say I don't value these experts trying to help out people who are struggling. I just decided not to settle for a bunch of outdated and hopeless advice like, just pay your bills on time. This is as good as it's going to get. I wanted my scores to go up, not just stay the same. Number three, I stopped listening to conventional credit wisdom. I instead used a simple little known credit score trick to turn the game around in my favor. And boy, did it ever pay off. You know, I thought I took pretty good care of my credit overall, but I had no idea how one single credit mistake I've been making ever since the day I swiped my first credit card was actually holding me back from the scores I truly deserve all these years. And within a matter of weeks after using this simple five-minute credit trick each day, I eliminated this one mistake. My scores went up, up, up. My credit limits increased and my financial flexibility and range of motion came back. You want to see what my one mistake was? And this simple five-minute trick I used to fix it? Click the link below this video now, and you can see the five-minute credit trick that finally turned my financial life around. I believe the information in that video can help all Americans learn how to raise their scores, just like it helped me. And I think it can help you, too. Click the link below to watch that. God bless. Greenville is literally giving free electricity for life to Maricopa County homeowners. Now, I don't know about you, but my electric bill last month had me enraged. It was twice as much as usual. The utility company, SRP, are clearly price-gouging Maricopa homeowners at a time when everyone's trying to be careful with their money. Terrible. Thankfully, the state of Arizona and Maricopa County has responded to the utility company in a big, big way. I am going to continue to fight for Arizonans. Using the new Inflation Reduction Act, our leaders finally did something right. Now you can get a solar panel and a power wall system at virtually no cost from the government. What does that mean? Solar panels and power walls cost an average of thirty dollars to $40,000. The state of Arizona is now buying solar panels for eligible homeowners and paying for the installation. That means you see instant savings on your utility bills without having to come out of pocket to pay for the panels. I applied for the solar stimulus program in Glendale last month within seven days, I had the panels on my roof, all paid for by the state. My bill just arrived in the mail, and I was so happy to see my electricity bill was zero dollars. It's crazy, right? Imagine never paying for another electric bill ever again. Meteorologists are predicting record-breaking summer heat. Imagine having your air conditioning running this entire Arizona summer without paying a cent. It could be your reality very soon, but you have to act fast. In all the years solar has been around, there's never been this type of government push. And big corporations are already trying to eat up all the funding. The good news, if you're seeing this video, that means your area qualifies for this program. And there is still money available. Well, what you do next is super important. And you must do this now. And the money's gone, gone for good. So you don't want to procrastinate. The next steps are simple. Tap the Apply Here button below. Enter your zip code and answer a brief questionnaire and we'll move you to the front of the line for this stimulus program.
I think it's actually not that hard to imagine we are the only civilization in the galaxy right now. Living. Yeah, this this to an extent. But there may be very many extinct civilizations. If each civilization has a typical lifetime comparable to, let's say, AI is the demise of our own, that's only a few hundred years of technological development, or maybe 10,000 years if you go back to the Neolithic Revolution, dawn of agriculture, you know, hardly anything in cosmic time span. Um, that, that's nothing. That's a blink of an eye. And so it's not surprising at all that we would happen not to coexist with anyone else. But that doesn't mean nobody else was ever here. And if other civilizations come to that same conclusion and realization, maybe they scour the galaxy around them, they find any evidence for intelligence, then they have two options. They can either give up on communication and just say, well, it's never going to happen. Uh, we just may as well just you know, worry about what's happening here on our own planet. Or they could attempt communication, but communication through time. The following is a conversation with David Kippen, an astronomer and astrophysicist at Columbia University, director of the Cool World Lab, and he's an amazing educator about the most fascinating scientific phenomena in our universe. I highly recommend you check out his videos on the Cool World YouTube channel. David quickly became one of my favorite human beings. I hope to talk to him uh, many more times in the future. This is the Lex Friedman Podcast. To support it, please check out our sponsors in the description. And now, dear friends, with David Kippen. Your research at Columbia is in part focused on what you call cool worlds, or worlds outside our solar system where temperature is sufficiently cool to allow for moons, rings, and life to form, and for us humans to observe it. So can you tell me more about this idea, this place of cool worlds. Yeah, the history of discovering planets outside our solar system was really dominated by these hot planets. And that's just because of the fact they were easier to find. When the very first methods came online, these were primarily the Doppler spectroscopy method, looking for wobbling stars, um, and also the transit method. And these two both have a really strong bias towards finding these hot planets. Now, Hot planets are interesting. The chemistry in their atmosphere is fascinating. It's very alien. Um, an example of one that's particularly close to my heart is Trace 2b, whose atmosphere is so dark it's less reflective than coal. And so they have really bizarre photometric properties. Yet at the same time, they resemble nothing like our own home. And so there's two types of astrophysicists. The astrophysicists who care about how the universe works. They want to understand the mechanics of the machinery of this universe, why did the Big Bang happen, why is the universe expanding, how are galaxies formed. And there's another type of astrophysicist which perhaps um, speaks to me a little bit more, it whispers into your ear, and that is, why are we here, are we alone, are there others out there, and ultimately along this journey, the hot plants aren't going to get us there. We, when we're looking for life in the universe, it seems to make perfect sense that there should be plants like our own out there maybe even moons like our own planet around gas giants that could be habitable. And so my research has been driven by trying to find these more terraqueous globes that might resemble our own planet. So they're the ones that lurk more in the shadows in terms of how difficult it is to detect. They're much harder. They're harder for several reasons. The method we primarily use is the transit method, so this is really eclipses. As the planet passes in front of the star, it blocks out some starlight. The problem with that is that not all planets pass in front of their star. They have to be aligned correctly from your line of sight. 
And so the further away the planet is from the star, the cooler it is, the less likely it is it's going to get that geometric alignment. So whereas a hot Jupiter, about 1% of hot Jupiters will transit into their star, only about 0.5%, uh, maybe even a quarter of a percent of Earth-like planets will have the right geometry to transit. And so that makes it much, much harder for us. What's the connection between temperature of the planet and geometric alignment, probability of geometric alignment? There's not a direct connection, but they're connected by an intermediate parameter, which is their separation from the star. So oh, the, the planet will be cooler if it's further away from the star, which in turn means that the probability of getting that alignment correct is going to be less. On top of that, they also transit their star less frequently. So if you go to the telescope and you want to discover a hot Jupiter, you could probably do it in a week or so, because the orbital period is of order of one, two, three days, so you can actually get the full orbit two or three times over. Whereas if you want to set an Earth-like planet, you have to observe that star for three, four years. And that's actually one of the problems with uh, Kepler. Kepler was this very successful mission that NASA launched um, over a decade ago now, I think, and it discovered thousands of planets. It's still the dominant source of exoplanets that we know about. But unfortunately, it didn't last as long as we would have liked it to. It died after about 4.35 years, I think it was. And so for an Earth-like planet, that's just enough to catch four transits. The four transits was kind of seen as the minimum. But of course, the more transits you see, the easier it is to detect it, because you build up signal to noise. You see the same thing, tick, 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 tick. The more ticks you get, the easier it is to find it. And so it was really a shame that Kepler was just at the limit of where we were expecting it to start to see Earth-like planets. And in fact, it really found zero. Zero planets that are around stars like the Sun, that orbit similar to the Earth around the Sun, and could potentially be similar to our own planet in terms of its composition. And so it's a great shame, but um, that's why it gives astronomers more to do in the future. Just to clarify, the transit method mm -hmm. is our primary way of detecting these things. And what it is, is uh, when the object passes, occludes the source of light just a tiny bit, a few pixels. And from that, we can infer something about its mass and size and distance and geometry, all, all of that. Mm -hmm. That's like trying to tell what, uh, at a party, you can't see anything about a, a person, but you can just see by the way they occlude others. So this is the method. But yeah. this is super far away. How many pixels of information do we have? Basically, how high resolution is the signal that we um, that we can get about these occlusions? You're right in your description. I, I think, just to build upon that a little bit more, it might be almost like your vision is completely blurry. Like you have an extreme you know, eye prescription, and so you can't resolve anything. Everything's just blurs. And, but you can tell that something was there because it just got fainter for a short amount of time. Something, Someone passed in front of a light. Yeah. And so that light, in your eyes, would just dim for a short moment. Now, the reason we have that problem with blurriness or resolution is just because the stars are so far away. I mean, these are the closest stars are four light years away, but most of the stars Kepler looks at were thousands of light years away. And so you, there's absolutely no chance that the telescope can physically resolve the star, or even the separation between the planet and the star is or is too small, especially for a telescope like Kepler, it's only a meter across. In principle, you can make those detections, but you need a different kind of telescope. We call that direct imaging. And direct imaging is a very exciting, distinct way of detecting planets. But it, as you can imagine, is going to be 
far easier to step back to really far away from their start to do that because that's going to make that separation really big and then you also want the star to be really close to us so the nearest stars not only that but you would prefer that planet to be really hot because the hotter it is the brighter it is and so that tends to bias direct imaging towards planets which are in the process of forming so things which have just formed the planet still got all of its primordial heat embedded within it and it's glowing we can see those quite easily but for the planets more like the Earth, of course, they've cooled down, and so we can't see that. The light is pitiful compared to a newly formed planet. We would like to get there with direct imaging. That's the dream, is to have a pale blue dot, an actual photograph of it, maybe even just a one-pixel photograph of it. But for now, the entire solar system is one pixel, with certainly with transit method most of the telescopes. And so all you can do is see where that one pixel, which contains potentially dozens of planets and the star, maybe even multiple stars, dims for a short amount of time. It dims just a little bit after that you go for a sample. Yeah, I mean it's it's like being a detective on the scene, right? It's very it's indirect clues of the existence of the planet. It's amazing that humans can do that. They're just looking out in these immense distances. And looking you know, if there's alien civilizations out there, like let's say one exactly like our own, we're like would we even be able to see an Earth that passes in the way of its sun and slightly dims and that's the only sign we have of that of that alien human-like civilization out there is it's a little bit of a dimming yeah i mean it depends on the, on the type of star we're talking about if it is a star truly like the sun the dip that, that causes is, is 84 parts per million i mean that's just it's like the same as a um as like a firefly flying in front of like a giant floodlight at a stadium or something that's the kind of the brightness contrast that you're trying to compare to so it's it's extremely difficult detection and in the very very best cases we can get down to that but as i said we don't really have any true earth analogs that have been in an exoplanet candidate yet unless you relax that definition you say it's not just it doesn't have to be a star just like the sun it could be a star that's smaller than the sun it could be these orange dwarfs or even the red dwarf stars and the fact those stars are smaller means that for the same size planet passing in front of it more light is blocked out and so a very exciting system for example, is Trappist-1, which has seven planets which are smaller than the Earth, and those are quite easily detectable, not with a space-based telescope, but even from the ground. And that's just because the star is so much smaller that the relative increase in or decrease in brightness is enhanced significantly because that's smaller size. So Trappist-1e, it's a planet which is in the right distance for liquid water. It has a slightly smaller size than the Earth. Um, it's about 90% the size of the Earth, about 80% of the mass. And it's one of the top targets right now for potentially having life. Um, and yet, it raises many questions about um, what would that environment be like? This is a star which is one-eighth the mass of the sun. It's um, Stars like that take a long time to come off their adolescence. When stars first form, like the sun, it takes them maybe 10, 100 million years to sort of settle into that main sequence lifetime. But for stars, like these late M-dwarfs as we call them, they can take up to a billion years or more to calm down. And during that period, they're producing huge amounts of X-rays, ultraviolet radiation that could potentially rip off the entire atmosphere. It may desiccate the plants in the system. And so even if water arrived by comets or something, they may have lost all that water due to this prolonged period of high activity. So we have lots of open-ended questions about these M-dwarf planets, but they are the most accessible. And so 
discriminator if we detect anything in terms of biosignatures it's going to be for one of these red dwarf stars it's not going to be a true earth twin as we would recognize it as having a yellow star well let me ask you i mean there's a million ways to ask this question i'm sure i'll ask it uh, about habitable worlds let's just go to our, our own solar system what can we learn about the planets and moons in our solar system that might contain life whether it's mars or some of the moons of jupiter and saturn what kind of characteristics because you say it might not need to be earth-like what kind of characteristics might we would be looking for when we look for life it's hard to define even what life is um but we can maybe do a better job in defining the sorts of things that life does and that provides um some aspects to some avenue for looking for them um in the Classically, conventionally, I think we thought the way to look for life was to look for oxygen. Oxygen is a byproduct of photosynthesis on this planet. Um, we didn't always have it. Certainly, if you go back to the Archean period, um, there was, you know, you have this period called the Great Oxidation Event where the Earth floods with oxygen for the first time and starts to saturate the oceans and then the atmosphere. And so that oxygen, if we detect it on another planet, whether it be Mars, Venus, or an exoplanet, whatever it is, um, that was long thought to be evidence for something doing photosynthesis. Because if you took away all the plant life on the Earth, the oxygen wouldn't just hang around here. It's a highly reactive molecule. It would oxidize things. And so within about a million years, you would probably lose all the oxygen on planet Earth. So that was a conventionally how we thought we could look for life. And then we started to realize that it's not so simple because A, there might be other things that life does apart from photosynthesis. Um, certainly the vast majority of the Earth's history have no oxygen, and yet there was living things on it, so that doesn't seem like a complete test. Um, and secondly, could there be other things that produce oxygen besides from life? Um, a growing concern has been these false positives in biosignature work, and so one example of that would be photolysis that happens in the atmosphere. An ultraviolet light hits the upper atmosphere, can break up water vapor, the hydrogen splits off to the oxygen, the hydrogen is a much lighter atomic species, and so it can actually escape certain planets like the Earth's gravity. That's why we don't have any hydrogen in helium. And so that leaves you with the oxygen, which then oxidizes the surface. And so um, there could be a residual oxygen signature just due to this photolysis process. So we've been trying to generalize. And um, certainly in recent years, there's been other suggestions, things we could look for in the solar system beyond uh, nitrous oxide. So laughing gas is a product of microbes. Um, that's something that we're starting to get more interested in looking for. Methane gas in combination with other gases can be an important biosignature. Uh, phosphine as well, and phosphine is particularly relevant to the solar system because there was a lot of interest for Venus recently. Um, you may have heard that there was a claim of a biosignature in Venus's atmosphere. It was like two years ago now. And the, the judge and jury is still out on that. Um, there was a very provocative claim and signature of a phosphine-like spectral absorption. Um, but it could have also have been some of the molecule in particular, sulfur dioxide, which is not a biosignature. So this is a detection of a gas in the atmosphere. Yeah. Venus. And, and uh, it might be controversial on several dimensions. So one, how to interpret that. Two, is this the right gas? And three, is this in the right detection? Is this is, is there an error in the detection? Yeah, I mean, how much do we believe the detection in the first place? If you do believe it, does that necessarily mean there's life there? And um, 
what gives? How can we have life in the fetus's atmosphere in the first place? Because that's been seen as like a hellhole place for imagining life. But I guess the, the, the counter to that has been that, okay, yes, the surface is a horrendous place to imagine life thriving. Um, but as you go up in altitude, the very dense atmosphere means that there is a cloud layer um, where the temperature and the pressure become actually fairly similar to the surface of the Earth. And so maybe there are microbes going around in the clouds which are producing phosphine. Um, at the moment, this is fascinating. It's got a lot of us reinvigorated about the prospects of going back to Venus and doing another mission there. In fact, there's now two NASA missions, Veritas and Da Vinci, which are going to be going back and before 2030 or the 2030s. Um, and then we have a European mission, I think, that's slated now, and even a Chinese mission might be coming along the way as well. So we might have multiple missions going to Venus, which has long been overlooked. I mean, apart from the Soviets, there really has been very little in the way of exploration of Venus, as, certainly as compared to Mars. Mars has enjoyed most of the activity from NASA's rovers and surveys. Um, and Mars is certainly fascinating. There's you know, the signature of methane that has been seen there before. Um, again, there, the discussion is whether that methane is a product of biology, which is possible, so that happens on the Earth, or whether it's some geological process that we are yet to fully understand could be a, you know, some sort of reservoir of methane that's trapped under the surface and it's leaking out seasonally. But the nice thing about Venus is if there's a giant moving civilization there, it would be airborne, so you could just fly through and collect samples. Yeah. With Mars and uh, moons of uh, Saturn and Jupiter, you're going to have to dig, dig under to find the civilizations, right. dead, dead or living. Right, and so yeah, maybe it's easier then for Venus because certainly you can imagine just a balloon floating through the atmosphere. Um, the Did you know that there's a simple combination of natural ingredients that will help you poop out pounds of old rotten waste in your colon within just a matter of days? It's the illusion of the third dimension. Above the third dimension, distance doesn't exist. Time doesn't exist. The past, present, and future happen all at the same time. There's oneness there, higher than the third dimension. Something that we should all aspire to. And so I do pray, and how I pray is like this. Was the Bible copied I'm, from ancient uh, texts? I'm happy about something. But number one is I thank. I always give thanks. I don't give thanks and oh, thank you, Lord, and all that kind of stuff, because the Lord is a whole nother, that's a whole nother podcast.
what I do is I give thanks. I say thank you with pure heart and gratitude and soul for myself to the creator of the universe. And when I am doing things like eating food or a meal, I command that the food be safe and healthy for my body. Now, I'm not going to command over a Hershey's bar. I'm not going to command over uh, uh, biscuits and gravy and collard greens because I know that's going to give me diabetes. <laughs> I'm not going to pray over a plate of slop because I'm smart. But if it's food that's good and healthy, I want to command that it's safe. In other words, that there's no salmonella in it, that there's nothing in there that's going to be detrimental to my body, no bacteria that was unforeseen, things like that. When I travel, I command that I arrive at my destination safely. Things like that. That's my method of praying, knowing the end and be believing in the end before the end. And why can I command it? I command it because the same power of commandment and the same power of control and creation is inside of my body. I have a fractal of the creator living inside of me. And so because of that, I walk in that power. And so I'm a walking prayer. And so are you. Everyone is a walking prayer. What is praying? Praying is looking to cast a spell. Christian may not want to admit that because they're going to say, oh, that's of the demons and all that kind of stuff. No. When you pray, you're trying to cast a spell. When something goes wrong and you start praying, you're trying to say words outside of your vocal cords to an outside entity, but you're really speaking to the universe, and you're trying to get things to alchemically convert to your favor. It's, it's a spell. You're trying to cast a spell. That's what praying is.